This is Footy Time with Daniel Andrews, and I'm joined on the other line by Johnny Raff. How's it going, Johnny? Hey, Dan. Not bad, not bad. Another great round, eh? It's interesting, wasn't it? It's a bit different, but, you know, I guess looking at the tips for this week, it was a, looked like a pretty straightforward round, and maybe it did turn out like that a little, but uh, I think it actually sets up for a really good round next round. There's some fantastic games to look forward to. Oh, there's definitely some good ones coming up. Uh, a couple of Anzac Day Eve ones, maybe one. <laughs> but we did have some interesting ones this round as well, and we've got our match of the round coming up, which is the Battle of the Bridge, of course, GWS versus Sydney. But before we get to that, what caught your eye from round five? Well, I've gone player-focused again, and I was at, I found it a little hard to split these two, but I have to go with Oscar Allen. Uh this guy just has so much confidence in his hands and his kicking for goal. It's He was the one player that Collingwood needed on Friday night. Well, Darcy, Darcy Moore did Moore, go for it, yeah. and he did all right. He did all right, but uh, oh, they'd love to have someone like uh, like the big Oscar. How old he's, t- he's about, what, like uh, 200 centimetres or just under, maybe? I think he's act- he's about 195 centimetres. He, he was actually... He, was, he refers to himself as the medium O because Oscar McInerney is the big O. Ah, so, uh, um, yeah, yeah. Yes, uh, but geez, uh, he looks, he's very confident at the moment. Yeah, he's definitely coming along. And it probably helps to have the other two tools there to bring him along a little bit. But uh, yeah, definitely. he's doing his job, that's for sure. Who else caught your eye? You said he was only one or two. Look, oh, I don't think Joey... Danaher set the world on fire, but I just think that he's now playing with a lot more freedom. I think he's got belief in his body again. They, they seem to have gotten it right. He's not sort of hampered by the injuries of the past anymore. And yeah, I think it, he enjoyed Saturday night and uh, got one over his, uh, his old mob. Yeah, it would have been fun for him, wouldn't it? So you reckon he's moving a little bit more freely than earlier in the year? I think, I think he's definitely back to that sort of leaping and you know agile sort of forward that we were expecting all along, yeah. That's good to hear. How's his goal kicking looking? Not too bad. Not too bad. I can't, I can't remember exactly how many he kicked. I was I think it might have maybe two or three. Yeah, I think, I think. he kicked um, two from memory. Maybe two one yeah, or something that's along right. those lines. But yeah, he's doing his job. It, it was definitely the movement. I thought, yeah. Yeah, it's not just about the goals, is it? No, no. Well, for me, what caught my eye was some slightly low scores. So I'm just going to quickly rattle these off. Uh these were the low scores from the losers over the weekend. 48, 76, 56, 69, 68, 45, 72, 54, and finally 47. So there's plenty of sub uh, 50 scores there and plenty more sub 60. So the average was for those losing teams was just 59.5 points. On the other side of the coin, though, was five of the nine winners actually cracked the ton. So it does seem like maybe the coaches have um, worked out a little bit in terms of what they can do with these new rules and still still get a bit of control in the game. So I don't think the, ge- the game definitely hasn't completely closed down. It's still quite open. I think it's just come back to earth a little bit. Um, you, they're definitely a lot more mindful of the, that quick slingshot, as you said, that comes right off halfback. We're still seeing a lot of good rebounding out of the uh, defensive 50, but... Yeah, I think this was always going to happen. It was going to sort of just level out a bit and, you know, it'll evolve again throughout the year, I'm sure. And I guess that also tells you that maybe it was a bit of a lopsided round. Yeah. There was a lot of, you know, favoured teams versus non-favoured teams in this in this round. And say, yeah. I think, you know, if you tipped all the favourites, what would you have got? Seven out of nine. So there, was, there was plenty of uh, big wins, but still some yeah. interesting games along the way as well. But... I guess, yeah, this is something I wanted to point out because some of these uh, teams are struggling to score, especially if they're not, uh, you know, getting Mm. the run of the play when they're coming up against a better opponent. All right, let's jump into the match of the round now. So as I alluded to earlier, this was the Battle of the Bridge. So I guess looking at this from the start of the season, you wouldn't have thought this would be such a good game. But, uh, you know, Sydney's recent... Uh, or early good form, and GWS has actually come good over the last week or two as well. Very, so... very, very interesting game, this one. Uh, I, what, was it raining? I couldn't quite tell. I was watching, unfortunately, on standard definition, which I actually don't like that much. Uh, but... 
No, it, it maybe a little bit greasy or something, but it was a it was a real scrap, I think, and it, you know maybe it was the illusion that it might have been wet because there was a lot of a uh, lot of good contested ball, a lot of scrapping around, a lot of inaccuracy that also makes you wonder if um, whether it's having something to do with it. But no, it was a, a really fun game to watch this one. Yeah, yeah, and that was my first point here. Plenty of misses early. The first six scoring shots were all behinds, mm. so it was not going to be a night that was going to be easy to score. That was pretty obvious from the outset. But it, what seemed to be pretty obvious early as well was the Giants were getting their ball movement going. They, that's something that has been lacking a bit over the last year or so, so it was great <laughs> to see that back again. Not sure whether it was the Orange Tsunami, but maybe they were getting a bit of a wave going. At one point, after some really nice ball movement from DWS, it was Toby Green who got it out the back. And then he managed to dish off to Daniels, who kicked the open goal. So it was a nice little finish for them there to make the most of that great ball movement. It was a very nice transition there. And um, it's that ability that Green has to just pick out the absolute best option as well, whether it's going for it himself or, or feeding a teammate. Absolutely. He's the guy they wanted to get it Absolutely. to for those assists. And he's usually pretty accurate, although... Not on this no. occasion. I think he kicked six or seven points. I think it, one goal seven, I think he ended up with. Uh, <laughs> very, very, very average, that, yeah. Anyway, back to the game. So Sydney, Sydney finally started to get things rolling towards the end of the first quarter. It was two goals to Haywood and one to Franklin, and they burst out to an 11-point quarter-time lead. So they did sort of stamp their authority a little bit on the game here, and they were looking like the better team. That they they really had a hard time, I think, feeling out the game early. I thought Sydney, um, it, it was just yeah, like I said before, it was it was very much a scrappy sort of affair, and they couldn't seem to get that running that's happened in recent weeks going. But right as you said, right near the end of the quarter, they just flicked the switch and they got you know, repeat inside fifty entries and got some reward for for effort as well as well. It really happened quite quickly towards the end there. Like Haywood got two goals within. A couple of minutes of each other, I think, and Franklin got on the end of one too. So, yeah, after that really real scoring drought early, it did happen pretty quickly towards the end of that quarter. Yes. So it was actually a pretty tight second quarter as well. And another memorable bit of play, GWS went coast to coast after Hopper had three possessions running along the wing. Looks like he's gaining a bit of confidence. So he's no, he knows he's not the best kick, but, yeah, he can uh, do a bit of damage running away from the stoppage, a little bit like Oliver has been doing the last year or so when he's been up and running. So it was good to see him be able to do that. He's just a – sorry, Dan. He's just a great, honest player. You want this guy in your team. Like, he, he, he's, a, he's a really tough midfielder, and he, he just does any, everything that's asked for him. And I, I would say he's the kind of guy who would be picked first on the team sheet every week. He's pretty Absolutely. tall as well. He's this one of these really solid midfielders, isn't yeah. he? So yeah, just a big build, a strong-bodied midfielder, yeah. For sure. And on this occasion, this little passage of play ended with a Himmelberg goal out the back as well. So got it moving out of the half-back line to get another transition goal. So just before half-time, it was Buddy who kicked two both left-foot snaps, and they were within 30 seconds of each other. So he got... One snap about 30 out, went back to the centre. Clearance, got it to Franklin again, another goal. So although GWS had been playing really well, it was still Sydney leading by 16 points at halftime. He was hotting it up for a moment there. He really <laughs> threatened to break the game open. Just heard he's, he's been injured though, isn't he? So yes. that like a training injury or was that coming some, out? No, it was out of this game, wasn't it? Some he sort of came off bruising. late in the game. I think they <clears> might, it was some kind of bone bruising and I think they thought it might have been manageable, but it seems like now he's going to be out for three or four weeks. So yeah, another setback. Another setback, another thing that's going to make it harder to get to those thousand goals. <laughs> but uh, he kicked five today, so that's good effort, obviously. He looks very good. Very good. His set shots have been improved, I think. I think he's actually now got a really nice routine, and he's actually dobbing him from inside 40, I think, more regularly than he ever has. Didn't seem like there was too much swing on his shots either. They were going no. pretty straight, which is pretty rare for Franklin. Maybe he's uh, been working a bit on his goal kicking with all this time off. I think he might have been. <laughs> <laughs> well, he can't really do the buddy arc anymore because, well, you can, like, 
in general play, but if he gets the show after the siren, they're they're hotter on that yeah. stepping off the line now. So I don't know, exactly. maybe he's thought about that. Had to evolve with the game, I guess. There was one in the um, Melbourne Hawks game. I can't remember who it was. I think it was a Hawthorne player. And uh, he had, I think it was Shields. He was taking a shot from about 55, three-quarter time. On the and, siren? Yeah, that's yeah, right, yeah, on the siren. And he must have taken one or two steps off. And yeah, you just hear the umpire yelling, no score, no score. <laughs> so they're pretty hot on it. Oh, okay. So, because uh, I was actually right behind that, and um, yeah, I I thought it just dropped short. Um, yeah, it did anyway. So but that, on the coverage, out. yeah, they ruled it out. Okay, they ruled it wow. out. So they, they must be a bit hotter on it. Yeah. 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 There's a pretty mercurial bit of play early in the third quarter as well. So there was a rut contest deep in the in Sydney's forward line, and it was Haywood sort of throwing a boot at it. He wasn't, he wasn't even really facing the goals. So with the outside of his boot sort of launching in the air, he managed to get enough leverage to get the ball up and over the line. It actually went quite high, but yeah, it was an amazing bit of play. Oh, love a mid-air heck, Dan. This was the goal, <laughs> this was the, goal of the game for me. Um, it reminded me a little bit about some things that Brad Johnson used to do back in the day uh, at the Bulldogs. Uh, yeah, no, it was that, it was very exciting, that one. Do you reckon he actually meant it? Obviously, he was trying to keep the goal, but like when you're doing an action like that, you can't really be in full control of what you're doing. And the ball seemed to bounce away from him quite a bit, so <laughs> he would have had to have gotten some serious control. A little to, bit of, bit, little bit of luck to. there, yeah. Yeah, possibly. possibly. <laughs> That's all right. It looked, it looked very good. <laughs> <laughs> so it was time for the Giants to respond, though. So after another deep coast-to-coast play from the Giants. It was Himmelberg who marked strongly on the wing and his two Sydney opponents that went up in the contest with him basically flopped to ground after this strong mark and it left Finlayson all alone inside 50 who was able to snap the goal. So although it looked like Sydney was having the better of the play, GWS just wouldn't go away. Yeah, they um, they hung in there and to their credit... Um... Yeah, some of those goals were really, really crucial and, and not easy shots either. No, absolutely not. So late in the third quarter, things were starting to tighten up. GWS had closed significantly, but it was Franklin who took a contested mark, something he's not really known for. Double grabber, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so he slotted through his fourth to give the Swans a 15-point three-quarter time lead. So... The Sydney did seem to have the answers, although, as we were talking about, GWS were really doing well hanging in there. Yeah. And when Papley drained a long goal, the Swans had a 21-point lead early in the fourth, and they looked on their way to a fifth straight win. But what started to change? Well, it was all to do with the Giants now. What could they do to respond? And they actually managed to get two in a row, including a set-shot goal to Finlayson, who's just recently come back into the side. But it was the Swans responding again, so it was really goal for goal at this point. And this was courtesy of Buddy, who was goaling from just inside 50 to put through his fifth straight goal. So he really did have the radar on in this game. This was a brutal last quarter. I mean, it it really went up a notch. and uh, Felt almost like finals atmosphere. Uh yeah, neither team wanted to drop this one. They don't, they're not very fond of each other. <laughs> no, but yeah, it was you knew it was going to be a big finish, I think. Yeah, They've had some pretty physical games over the years, haven't they? Particularly they that final, I think it was in 2016, when Sydney were heavily favoured and GWS yeah. smashed them up and got really physical. So Yeah, yeah. They definitely, guys, yeah. They've definitely got a proper... Rivalry now, don't they? Which is oh, good yeah. to have another one of these uh, same town rivalries in the Absolutely. AFL. It's only a good thing, yeah. Especially for building the profile of the game in these cities. Not sure the Q Cash clash is quite there yet, but I hopefully it will so. eventually get there. A bit of a way to go, but you, know, <laughs> you can only hope. For sure. Might need a competitive Gold, gold Coast first. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the key, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. So with the. With the Fourth quarter clock ticking down. It was the Giants who were doing almost all of the attacking. The Swans really did seem to go into their shells at this point, and they were almost playing to save the game, which is always quite a dangerous thing to do. 
GWS just couldn't put it on the board, though. And we mentioned earlier, Toby Green kicking seven points and a couple of them in a row here as GWS are making their big push. But from a long kick in, Toby tracked it back and with bigger opponents all around him, he managed to go back with the flight and take it on the chest. And finally, he was able to slot one. Didn't waste any time either. (laughs) No, no. I knew what was at stake. and It's those types of players... It doesn't matter how many how many they've missed. They can always put the last shot out of their mind. He's just focusing on this one. Don't know how keen he was on the set shot though, because he went around maybe on the snap pretty shot. quickly. Yeah, maybe not the set shot, but he, he knew what to do. He knew what to do. I think part of that was just because he knew that there was very little time left, and by putting through that goal, they're only four points down with. I think around two or three minutes left. So time was definitely of the essence at this point. Yeah, that was smart thinking. So as GWS continued to push, they got a stoppage deep inside 50. And it was the Swans Ruckman who somehow decided to smash it into space, even though all the Swans were closer into the contest. And who got there first? But Josh Kelly. And he was able to snap over his left shoulder or right shoulder on the left boot, it would be, for the game winner. There were a lot of things wrong about this passage of play for Sydney, Dan. <laughs> this was the crucial moment of the game. I know it probably happened right at the end, and you know it's easy to say that, but uh, this, yeah. first of all, the hit out. Uh, I can't quite remember who it was. Um, yeah, but you're right. Hickey went off injured. Hickey so, went off injured. So, yeah, I'm not sure who was their second ruck. Yeah, not not too sure, but um, yeah, he went for the bash. I think the best thing to do in that situation would have been to keep it in tight, try and force another stoppage, but sort of blazed away there with the big, big punch. Uh, but the guarding of Josh Kelly here, it was so obvious that he was going to try and get out to the left side of that contest, and <laughs> everyone knows he's a lethal left footer. Why Why were they standing on his right-hand side? I don't I don't understand that, Dan. Like, yeah, I don't incredible. know. You've got to when these sorts of things right, happen, yeah. it just looks like it completely breaks down for the opposition and they just shouldn't be able to get that much space. Especially, like, Sydney had every player in that defensive 50. They had Absolutely. at least sort of five to seven guys standing around this stoppage, yet the most dangerous space was still free. Oh, and you've got to take his best weapon away from him, surely. And, you know, if, he, if someone's not to the left of him and, and blocking him, at least someone's got to, someone else has got to try and sort of I don't know, shepherd him out of it, I guess. I mean, it was just so obvious. And um, look, sometimes the hardest lessons to learn are the, you know, the most brutal. But I think these Swans players will definitely learn from it. Well, at least it gave us a great game winner. So Mix. that was gave the GWS Giants a two-point lead and they managed to hold on. Although most of that last minute and a half was actually in their defensive 50. So Sydney did have quite a few long kicks in and sort of half free kicks that could have gone their way. None of them were there, but geez, it was a pretty difficult last minute and a half for those giant supporters, I'm sure. A few last-ditch efforts there from the Swans. I think, was it Parker had that step over the shoulder that fell short? And um, obviously the free kick, I think, for the contact below the knees on the carpet. Oh, that's right, yes. yeah. And they managed um, to clear after that. That's right, yes. So what happened, Johnny? Why did Sydney lose this game? Obviously, GWS were sort of pushing really hard and, uh, you know, they had some players like Kelly and Green who stepped up when they really needed it. But, you know, Sydney was the undefeated team. So what happened? They were in this game. They were winning at three-quarter time. Why did they lose? I think they just got a bit complacent. I mean, being a young group, it, it does it can happen. But as you mentioned, they went solely into the mindset of defending in that last quarter. They just um they just thought let's let's bottle it up, let's, you know, try and you know, try and save it or try and just um you know tick the clock down. Whereas the Giants were just thinking, no, let's get it into the space and let's just keep, you know, keep attacking it. And it, it it's there's no right or wrong way to go about it, but I just felt like they were a bit complacent and the that there was a very key stoppage right at the end there. I, I think they definitely could have managed that a bit better. Um, yeah, I mean, you could put it down to inexperience, maybe, but I think they, they got a tiny bit lazy as well. Mm. 
It's interesting, isn't it? Like when a team gets into the mindset of just defending, you're almost inviting the other team to keep attacking. And, you know, if if that's the way the game's being played, then you're almost giving the opposition a chance to win the game. Whereas if, you know, you did keep a little bit more of an attacking mindset, I don't know, it just seems like this defend at all costs mentality, if you're doing that for, you know, five or ten minutes, it's very dangerous. <laughs> it's a very, it's a bit of an oxymoron because you're trying to not be reckless. You're trying to not, uh, you know, go for the home run play every every single time you get the ball and expose yourself. But so you, you're playing it safe to the point where you, the ball is mainly in your defensive half and you are, as you said, inviting the pressure. Yeah. And um, as they sort of get more of the, you know, they, as GWS were coming back, it was almost like Sydney were just handing the momentum to them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's kind of what it felt like. Yeah. So I suppose, like, just say, like, in a normal run of, like, six minutes, you might have each team getting, like, four chances to move the ball forward and, you know, do something with it. So if you're locking down defensively, instead of you getting those four chances to go forward and do something with it, you're probably giving two or three of those to the opposition. Yeah, it's going to be harder for them to score, but, you know, you're just giving them so many more chances to actually do something. So it is, it's, to me, it's a very dangerous way to try and actually win a game. <laughs> I think when it takes over the mindset to the point where you've now stopped running or you've stopped, I guess not taking risks, but if there's an opportunity to play on, you're deciding, no, 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 let's take it back, yeah. take 10 seconds off the clock. That just, you know, it becomes contagious. Everyone starts thinking that, and it's just, uh, it's a survival mindset, and it, it, it yeah. can definitely play into the hands of the other team. So, like, I get you don't want to be too over-attacking, but if you have a chance to, you know, transition the ball, get it down your end, lock it in there, or just kick one more and the game's over, like, that's almost you know, the complete opposite view. Just try and kick one more goal and then the game actually is over. <laughs> and so. as fans, that's usually what we always want. When <laughs> watching one on. more. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, so what does this mean for Sydney going forward then? Obviously, GWS have uh, been much improved in the last two weeks, getting two wins on the board. But Sydney now starting to, uh, yeah, just teeter a little bit. So obviously they've only lost the one game, but it was a close game against Essendon as well. Maybe that early season form starting to desert them a little or well, too down on the Swans? They do have a match against the Suns next week, a chance to redeem themselves. It is at Metricon, but I think they'll probably win that one. So I think they'll bounce back. Week after that, though, is I'm pretty sure a big game against the... Uh, I was going to say the Ds. That might be the week after. It's actually the Cats. So, yeah, look, not the easiest run, but I wouldn't be too worried. I think it's definitely the lesson they had to learn. You could see John Longmire was very upset about it, but uh, I think he's a really good teacher for these young kids, and I think I think they'll definitely learn this lesson as well as they possibly can. Yeah, absolutely. It'll be interesting to see how they go in the next few weeks, but, yeah, maybe it did the first three weeks made them look a little bit better than they actually are. But having said that, possible, they'll, yeah. they'll still definitely, it seems like they'll still definitely be competing for the top eight. So Absolutely. they're still ahead of where pretty much everyone thought they would be. So yeah, doing well. All right, let's jump back into uh, the rest of the agenda. So we've got a couple of topics to have a go at here and then also some true or false. So obviously in the AFL, there's the winners, but there's also the losers. So an interesting topic that I think you brought up, Johnny, is uh, sort of some of the most disappointing teams so far this season. And uh, I guess the two we have in our sites here are Carlton and St Kilda. So I was going to pose the question, who's been more disappointing out of these two teams and why? Oh, geez. (laughs) That's a brilliant question, Dan. Um, Who... Uh, uh, yeah, look, for different reasons, obviously, because St Kilda's got aspirations of going further than they did last year. Um, I would say they get a tiny bit of a let-off just with the injuries they've had, but it's 
not, you know, obviously an excuse. I, I, I'm still going to go with Carlton. I'm still going to go with Carlton because um, when when's the talk about the, the honourable losses, the um, David T coming out and saying things like, well, we did well with the inside 50 count and all those things. When does that talk actually become results? I feel like with Carlton, we've been waiting for them to arrive for a really long time now. Um, you know, there's been a, a few drafts in there and uh, they, I think they actually went about their rebuild pretty well from the 2015 draft onwards, um, you know, starting with the spine and sort of working into the midfield. But yeah, look, I think that because I think over a there's a bit of a as a body of work or, or lack of body of work there over a few seasons now that makes this disappointing for, for me. And Carlton's had some pretty winnable games, I think. And and there's been some winnable games that they've won, but I, I would say that St Kilda, look, they've had some pretty poor performances, but I guess they, they could still turn it around. I mean it's looking a little bit a little bit ominous at the moment, but I'll go with Carlton. Okay, Carlton. Yeah, well, I suppose they were, you know, one of the talks of the off-season with the few uh, good recruits coming in, um, Williams and Saad expecting to help them. And, uh, you know, if not now, when? I guess that was the kind of thing. So That's everyone right, yeah. was expecting them to be better. I uh, think, yeah, you, sorry, you look, those guys you mentioned, like Zach Williams, I mean, what, I think it's seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year. I mean, not overly impressing so far. He's been pretty off with his kicking. Sard's been okay, um, but the one guy I come back to is Paddy Cripps. I don't know why people aren't talking about Paddy more. Um, no finals appearances. Twenty-seven uh, percent winning record in the games he's played. Um, I think. How old is he? Is he? He's be about twenty-four, twenty-five now. I think. Yeah, I think he might just be a little older than that. Maybe, Maybe 26. But yeah. what makes anyone think that someone wants to stay at a club their whole career without any success? I mean, I, I would yeah. be surprised if it hasn't crossed his mind yet. Yeah, well, I guess, you know, people would say he's Carlton through and through, but I think there's there's a limit to the, what anyone can hack, isn't there? And, like, you know, while he's been there, they've probably already gone through two rebuilds. So, yeah. you know, if a, if a third... He gets mooted like it's going to be hard to sell that to him, I suppose. And there's um, two West Australian clubs that are going to come knocking. <laughs> I'm sure that. plenty of clubs will come knocking. Absolutely. Although I guess there has been a bit of talk around that. I think he's been playing a little bit injured this year, but also that you know maybe some of the rule changes aren't necessarily helping him. But you know, if he's, I think still if he's fully fit, then you know everyone would want him in their team. Obviously, hundred percent. Um, I think also the issues aren't just with him. I mean, look, a lot of people are talking about, is he playing, I don't know, is he playing selfish or is he playing, um, is he trying to be the best player every single week? Look, I mean, it comes back to a team, a team game, really. I mean, he's got to have faith in his teammates, obviously, but they've also got to give him the faith. They've got to lift their game too. Yeah. So that's, yeah. I and mean, it, it felt a bit like that, I think, when Judd was there. It felt like you know, there were times when he was just, just stand out the best player and he was and he knew it and yeah I guess the depth in the midfield has been something they've really struggled with in the last few years in particular and I guess that was one of the reasons they brought Williams in he was more of a half backer but they wanted to play him in the midfield they mm. just really lacked these uh, sort of mature midfielders coming through a lot of their uh, lower draft picks that were midfielders either haven't come through or are now playing in different positions so you know when you don't have a core of three or four guys you can really rely on and you know other guys going in there and making meaningful contributions it's going to be hard to win consistently like to get yeah. the ball moving your way so I think that's probably Carlton's biggest problem I mean absolutely because after Cripps it, it sort of gets to a, a level where, it, where they're either too old like Mark Murphy they're just sort of there for experience or they're too young and like Dow and I mean Sam Walsh has been good I think he's probably the pick of these youngsters so far who's this year who's performed but yeah, I mean, something's got to give at some point. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't think we want to let St Kilda have a free pass here as well. <laughs> like they've really turned it up in a couple of games. But, yes. you know, I guess over the last few years, they have been probably, you know, the more competitive team. And, you know, you can sort of see the build a little bit more. And 
you know, maybe when they do get their Ruckman back, they might be able to put a bit more out there that looks like what they actually want to do rather than just putting out these pretty limp efforts. But yeah, I think. But is we'll... it all about? Is it all about the ruck? I mean, I mean, that's a it's a big deal, obviously, especially Ryder out and Marshall. But um, you know, are there other areas that they should be? Finding, trying to find improvement from? I mean, Oh, yeah. It's yeah, not like, just the ruck, but I think that exacerbates the issue because... It definitely does, they're, yeah. it, they're finding it difficult to, you know, get the clearances going their way and then everything is just sort of dropping from there. But, you know, I think we might have talked about this a little bit before, but they do like a bit of star power, St Kilda. So, you know, when things are going against them, who's going to change the game if it's not Jack Steele? It's... This doesn't happen that often. It, yeah. I know they had that big comeback win against West Coast, which was a great team effort, but it's yeah. they just don't. To me, they just don't have that many game changers. They've got a lot of very similar players, and uh, you know when things aren't working, you know, can uh, turn pretty ugly pretty quickly. There's plenty of speed in that midfield, but I, that's exactly right. I think you know there's not enough people in that midfield that can take the game by the scruff of the neck. If it's not going their way, can they? wrestle the momentum back their way. Um, yeah, Steele, I guess, is, is proven to be that he, you know, a guy you can count on week in, week out, but there's just, yeah, a big drop-off after that, I think. Now, a lot of the people were talking up St Kilda at the start of the year, obviously after a good year last year, but I don't know. It did seem like there was a little bit of a stealing to what they were doing. And I know they've got some good young players as well, but yeah, I didn't necessarily see them improving this season, and it looks like that's coming to fruition. It will be interesting to see what they look like when they do have their rucks back. But you know, like as you said, it's not going to solve all their issues. Um, yeah, look, I had them in the eight again. I definitely think they're a good side, but to take the next step, I wasn't sold. Yeah, absolutely. So the di- a difference the difference between what did they finish last year, sixth or seventh, and yeah. like a fourth or fifth. There's a good sort of two or three wins there, and to get those extra wins, I guess you need to be able to turn a game every now and then. And uh, yeah, I don't know, maybe they'll develop it, but doesn't seem to be something they do that often. Although it's, they did do it against West Coast. <laughs> it's, well, it's going to be a little bit tough from here on out. Um, I know it's only five games in, but they are two and three with a percentage of seventy-one point four. So that is a horrid percentage. Yeah, that's, that's not going to help. Of those where they've just sort of turned it up a little bit, and you know, it's leaked a lot of score. It's not going to help. Not going to help come the point again. All right. Well, there's the doom and gloom. Let's go to the positive for a minute. Who's been more impressive this season, Sydney or the Western Bulldogs? Another brilliant question. Gee. Um, Ah, uh, look, I don't think anyone can touch the Bulldogs right now. Five games in, they look sensational. Is there, like, is there a better team that plays Marvel Stadium right now? I, I don't think so. Um, They're very quick. It, it does definitely suit their game style. Definitely. There's no place to hide on a smaller ground either, so, you know, they spread beautifully. Um, this might be the most stacked midfield group I've seen in a long time. You know, you, Look at the average possessions of some of these guys so far this year. Bont's averaging 37, McRae's averaging 35, Dunkley's averaging 31, Trelaw 25, Smith and Liberatore 24. Um, yeah, so having gonna... said all that, how do you beat them? No one's done it so far, but what, what's the blueprint to beat a team that is this dominant through the midfield and is holding out well in the forward line and back line? What's the recipe here? I think you have to try and slow the game down. I think you have to frustrate them and maybe play a slightly negative style. It might not be the best way to go about it. I mean, like, for popularity purposes, but I think if you take them on in the in that uh, running game, you right now everyone's just going to get caught out. I guess one thing, if you could, I know this is a big if, but if you could actually, you know, get on the right side of the centre clearance deferential, you could try and play a bit of a forward half game and lock it in there. I know it's a lot easier said than done, but when you've got a team that's, you know, racking it up through the midfield and really good on transition, then, uh, yeah, that might be, you know, 
as good a strategy as any. The key would be, I think, to frustrate them, to not let them run when they want to and get into that fluid play that they like so much and really just make it disjointed, I guess. Yeah, so like I think to be able to do that, then you're, you're relying on having a really strong, well-set defence, I suppose. So I guess Absolutely. teams like Richmond and probably to a lesser extent Melbourne now come to mind where, you know, when they do have the ball, they can actually get really well set up behind the ball. So if you can yeah. slow them down a little bit, maybe uh, that can expose them a little. But uh, yeah, th- that hasn't happened yet, obviously. They're 5 no. yeah. It'll be <laughs> but, interesting uh, to see if someone can figure it out. Yeah. All right, so we're very impressed with the Western Bulldogs. Sydney not too far behind. A couple of stats caught my eye, though. So this is commonalities between the Western Bulldogs and Melbourne. So why are each of these teams five and zip so far? So what are they doing better than the rest of the competition? So there was three things that really stood out here. So the first one is turnover points differential. So this is the number of points they score on turnover and minus the number they concede on turnover. So they're not only really good at scoring when they do get a turnover, but they're really good at defending the turnover as well. So it's kind of the double whammy. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So this is why, well, this is probably one of the main reasons why Bulldogs and Melbourne have both conceded first and second in terms of the least points. So even when they are turning it over, they're actually doing really well at stopping those leaking scores. So from memory, I'm not sure what it would be for the Bulldogs, but I think the largest score Melbourne has conceded for the whole season is 72, and that was against St Kilda. So they're just not giving up many points. Both been good at defending in transition this year. Absolutely. So that's the first one. Uh, the second one is contested position, possession deferential. Yeah. So this has been something that hasn't necessarily tracked as much with winning in previous years. It was still always good to win the contested possession, but... You know, it wasn't uncommon for teams to lose this differential and still go on to win. So possible reasons why this might be more important this season. Any ideas, Johnny? Um, I think because the game has just gone back to that, that, um, you know, I guess, I can't even think of the words right now. It's gone back to that, that style where, having first use of the ball is now really important again. You, you win the ruck contest, you get a hit out to advantage, you get that first use, a good clearance, and you're either locking it in your 50 or you're giving your tall, your tall forwards a, a good chance one-on-one. And, you know, as we know, the, the tall forward is definitely starting to make a bit of a comeback. So I think, yeah, I think that would be the main thing. The first use now and the ruckman is, is really, really handy again. Yeah, that was my thinking too. So... Now that there is more space to be had once you actually do win the contest, it actually makes it even more valuable. So once you do get the ball out, you have more chance to do something with it. You've got more chance to score. You've got more chance to keep it in your forward half if uh, you do go forward. So all this adds up to making those contested possession wins very important. And both these teams do have good ruck stocks. So obviously Gorn and they've got the combination of uh, Steph Martin and uh, who's the and English, yeah. So absolutely, and Luke both, Jackson pinch hitting and um, yeah, Jackson's actually doing really helpful. well in the ruck. Very, very so good. I think um, yeah, it's exacerbating problem for teams that don't have that good ruckman and uh, just a bit of an insight there into what's happening. And the other commonality between Bulldogs and Melbourne is just the pressure they're being able to put on. So the pressure rating for both these teams is I think one and two or at least it was for the first four games so that was something that's really obvious um, difference to last year particularly for Melbourne just the amount of pressure they've been able to put on particularly in the forward line uh, not letting it get out so easily and I'm sure you've seen in Bulldogs games they're making it really hard to get it out of the contest as well so uh, they're, they're doing it both ways in the midfield Yes, they're not too dissimilar in the way they play, really. So it will be interesting when they do actually play against each other, what sort of game it is and whether it's, you know, sort of this sort of free-flowing game or whether there's just long periods where it's kind of locked in each other's half. Ooh, 
when and where is that going then? <laughs> Very interesting, that one. Oh. I'm not sure when that one is. But uh, yeah, it'll be a definitely a good one to go see. Absolutely. All right, let's uh, jump into some true or false to finish today. So we've got quite a few to get through here. Uh, some interesting ones. So let's start with Dom Sheed. Dom Sheed continues to give Collingwood fans nightmares. True or false, Johnny? <laughs> oh, this is a no-brainer. Absolute no-brainer. Jeez, um, what was it, three goals in, in a, two minutes maybe? Um, lethal left foot. I uh, don't think they'll ever forget his left foot. Um, yeah, 100% true. <laughs> 100% true. So just to give this a little bit of context, West Coast took Sheed at pick 11 into the 2013 draft. They got this pick from Collingwood, and also Collingwood had the pick before pick 10. So they were shooting all around Dom Sheed. <laughs> Very interesting. Surprised that hasn't been spoken about more. <laughs> and... Uh, not to rub too much salt into the wounds, but well, maybe yes to do that. 2018 Grand Final, obviously it was Sheen who kicked the winner. So I'm sure there's plenty of Collingwood fans who curse the name Dom Sheed. Oh, we've said it before, but I'm sure we've said it before, but there's something about a left footer. It's just, it's magic, isn't it? They are good to watch, especially when they get a bit of space. And more often than not, uh, you know, the player will defend the wrong side and they'll just get that extra half second. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> All right, next one. Frio will end up as the best team outside the eight at the end of the season. True or false? Uh, this is true for me. Um, I really like the way this team is building. I think Longmuir came in with a real, you know, well-worked-out plan. And it wasn't glamorous. It wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't eye-catching or anything, the way they were playing when he first came in. But I'm convinced that it's definitely going to bear fruit. I mean, they play some great accountable footy. They taught them sort of defence first. And the thing I really like is some of these young mids and young players there, they're really starting to now inject their character into the way they play. Um, Andrew Brayshaw, I think, is going to be the textbook example for the midfielder in the AFL going forward. I think, yeah, I think he had 33 touches, 17 contested. But he, you know, just sort of... Plays with rage as well. It's it's you know it's a really fun team to watch. Good mix of young and old. I mean, uh, David Mundy, what a great story. I mean, he's thirty five, and you know he nearly was nearly finished up last year. For a long time, I think this guy was easily in the top ten kicks in the competition, and it's great to see him playing some brilliant footy at the moment. You're talking him up a lot, Johnny. Why can't they make yeah. the eight then? Why do they have to be outside the eight? <laughs> it's <laughs> a, a good few point. spots up for grabs, right? There are a few spots up for grabs. They may sneak in, you know, not ruling anything out. But uh, I think this will be a real sort of moving up year. And next year, I think they could really explode. Yeah, so I think, you know, they should start to win a few more games at home. And, uh, yeah, they're definitely on the up. And Longmuir's game style definitely has something to it. So you can see that the players are really bought into it and uh, it's definitely not the type of game style that's, uh, you know, flashy or going to kick huge scores, but it seems to be something that his team can execute and uh, will allow them to develop in the right way. I think I also really like the philosophy of the way they've gone. Um, If you think back to that game last year against Carlton in the West, uh, the one that the Nunes goal after the Siren one, um, that was a real sort of fork in the road moment, I think. I mean, you looked at Frio, who, you know, Longmuir sort of threw these younger guys into the middle and said, you know, go win the game for us. Because I think Sarah, Brayshaw, Sarong, those guys. And you looked over at Carlton and you saw Murphy, Kerno, uh, you know, Cripps, obviously Cripps <laughs> has to be there. But, you know, just guys that you weren't sure, like, they're not going to win their next premiership. And I think that that's, Frio win the long game battle, I think. They might not have won on that night, but I think they're going to mm. be, they're going to, it's going to spare fruit at some point. Interesting. Yeah, they, they've definitely done a lot of that over the last year or two, trying to inject more midfield time. And, you know, Fife isn't always spending the whole game in the midfield no. now, and some of the other guys as well. So, uh, yeah, I think 
they're definitely on the right track. So he's doing a good job in his yeah. second year. Absolutely. All right. Collingwood's list management has been spot on for the last five years. True or false, Johnny? <laughs> well, it's definitely... Oh, I'm going with false. It doesn't mean spot on. Uh, <laughs> but uh, look, I, I wanted to highlight, obviously, what Sam McLewis said on Footy Classified last week, that you know, it was some good television there. Um, Eddie got a bit annoyed. Um, but I did have to sort of back Eddie a bit there because I think... And I think Sam McClure is a great, really good journo, but I think he was a little bit flippant in the comments that he said uh, in saying that the list management was a debacle for the last five years. Because as Eddie sort of replied, there's a grand final in there, there was a prelim there, there was a finals appearance and a good win over at West Coast last year. Um, what are you measuring the performance of the list management by? If it's, I mean, is, is it only flags that makes it good? Or, um, it was great when they made that grand final. Uh, how come it's, you, you know, sometimes we get a bit of, I mean, their trade period last year was horrible. I think everyone <laughs> definitely agrees with that, but you get that sort of recency bias and it's People easy to forget, forget things, things quickly, don't they? Yeah, yeah, it's easy to forget. So I guess, yeah, a couple of the more recent things that really stand out is obviously offloading some of the guys in last year's trade period, and they're already st- seeming like they're playing pretty well in other teams. Trelaw, Stevenson have uh, done pretty well, and you know Collingwood couldn't keep those guys anyway, even if they wanted to. But I guess that's you know because they didn't manage the list properly. So, and I think the, that one of the points. Sorry, one of the points that um, Sam was making was that they. He mentioned sort of kicking it down the road. I think they were they were restructuring Troy Law's contract and back-ending yeah. it and things like that, and they were sort of putting it off the ladder because they thought they could win the flag. And so it was something to what he was saying. But they have ended up in the situation now where they've got these players over 30. Pendlebury, Greenwood, Maine, Howe, Roughhead, Cox. I actually didn't know Mason Cox was 30 years old. I he he must have been... Like pretty mature player when he, he came must, in because yeah. he hasn't been. He definitely hasn't been in for ten years. <laughs> no, no. I thought. Yeah, I was thinking maybe like twenty seven or something. But no, side bottom as well. Thirty. Um, I could easily. And argue Grundy that, with like a what he's he's still got like a five year contract with a massive left, contract. So. But I could easily argue that there's three of their best players in that bracket. Pen, I would say Pendlebury, side bottom, how. So, I mean, it happens, but it does. You know, it does make you question the list management to an extent. Yeah, absolutely. So it'll be interesting to see what they do from here. I don't really know, you know, what they can do really other than just try and develop their younger players. Uh, most of those guys you listed there, you know, they're the wrong side of 30. They're not going to have a huge amount of trade value. So, yeah, yeah maybe, maybe Collingwood did take their shot in those couple of seasons there you were talking about. By all accounts, they really probably should have won 2018. Like, oh yeah, they were they were right there, they're and right there. obviously, West Coast played a great game as well. But Collingwood had chances to win that. Well, five and, goals up early in the game and losing, yeah. it's, it's yeah. So, yeah. don't want to rub too much salt nope, into the wounds. Nope. I know <laughs> I keep saying that, but it does. It's it's seeming more and more like you know they did kind of have their shot with this list, and yeah. um, it may be time to. Start again in a way. I'm sure we'll Collingwood take fans a big step will hate back. to hear that. <laughs> but uh, you know, no one, no one can stay up forever, and Collingwood's been up for a little while now. So uh, maybe it's yeah. their turn. Never really dip. bottomed out. They've never really bottomed out. No. So one to keep an eye on. Yes. Last one for today. This is one I added in late in the piece. So the premiership race is wide open in 2021. True or false? Ooh. Um, uh, yeah, look, I think it is. I, I absolutely think that it's anyone's premiership this year. I mean, Richmond's going to be very hard to displace from the throne, but uh, I think anyone on their day could, could knock them off. There's more contenders now, I think. So Definitely. I think last year there was a lot of talk that, you know, the premiership race was wider open than it had been for a while, and I think that was true. And now maybe it's widened even further. So... You know, you've got Melbourne and Bulldogs who are playing really well at the moment. And really, all the teams that were up there last year, you'd still say 
are definitely in that conversation, maybe with the exception of Brisbane. Port Adelaide's still playing really good football. Obviously, Richmond's there. You'd expect Geelong to win plenty of games at home. And West Coast gets it, play a whole season with home games again. So there's definitely plenty who are in that conversation, I think. Looking at the ladder right now, I I think there's definitely a few teams in that eight that can win the flag. I think the Western Bulldogs can definitely win this flag. Uh, that, I'm sure they'd probably be favourites right now, even. Um, Melbourne look as happy as I'm about the D's right now. I, they, they can, but there's still a few more tests I'd like to see them pass to really be a legitimate challenger. But look, they can, we've mentioned this before, they can make top four. If, if, you know, if yeah, absolutely. And if you can make top four, then you're in the conversation. You've got a shot. You've got a shot. Port Adelaide, I think, is definitely a massive chance. And beyond that, you've got Richmond. Geelong, I think they can still get turn it around and get it together. They'd want um, to do something pretty quickly, but they should be. They're getting a few guys back, right? They, they're getting Jeremy Cameron, Dangerfield's back. So I think three and two, they'll take that for now. But yeah, look, it's going to have to be a, a sharpish turn now upwards. Uh, for the teams outside the eight, I think yeah, look, I think you can put a line through most of those for the flag this year, definitely. I guess Brisbane's the only one Brisbane that you be, could yeah. say could have a bit of a bounce. But, Brisbane could uh, make some noise, yeah. But, uh, yeah, outside of that, you'd probably say uh, flag is pretty unrealistic. And th- we've listed quite a few teams there. And yes. some people would argue that, you know, even some of the teams we've listed don't really have a realistic shot. But no, it does seem not. it does seem relatively wide open, especially if you go back two or three years when it really seemed like there was, you know, two or three teams that were kind of above Everyone else, almost. it's definitely not so that. It's definitely not that now. I mean, the West yeah. Coast, if they can some, they can get Shuey right, and uh, and I'm not sure how long Yo's out for, but uh, if they can get some of these guys back, they'll make a big run. It's great to see such an open competition, and I know there's a big definitely. gap between uh, you know the best teams and the worst teams at the moment in terms of what they're putting out there from week to week. But there's no fate complete here. You know, Richmond, no. they've got a good chance to. With their three-peat, but there's plenty of worthy challenges out there. No, it's going to be exciting. Absolutely. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of Footy Time. Thanks again for joining me, Johnny, for this. No problem. Anytime. So thanks to you guys as well for listening. And again, if you've got anyone that you think might enjoy listening to Footy Time, please tell them about us. And uh, if you want to get in touch, we've got the email of... uh, footytimemail at gmail.com. Until next time, goodbye.